0: Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host, and we are joined with uh, a former guest today, but so much has gone on since last time we talked to him. We're going to kind of dive in and probably do a quick recap of of what he does, what his past is like, but then there's been some really, really cool things that he's been up to. The Zen Epic 10. You guys don't know what that is, but you're going to find out today. Icebreaker Run's coming up pretty soon, and his book, Out There, we want to talk a little bit about that. I think he had just released it last time we talked, but it wasn't a bestseller at that point, and uh, now it is, and I'm sure he's got a lot of stories of of people reaching out to him after he uh, he really shared some personal stuff and really dove deep into his journey, which is always c- commendable and, and really freaking hard. So we we always love people who are willing to share a lot of their life on Athlete on Fire. If you guys are here for the first time or somebody sent this to you some way or if if our guests send it to you, you can find out more at athleteonfire.com. We also have an app, so you don't have to go to the site very often. It just kind of streams right into your, to your mobile device, and you can just type in athleteonfire in all those app stores, which is pretty cool. A lot of people are starting to do that as well. So let's dive right into it. This is David Clark. How you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome, ma'am. It's a beautiful day in Colorado. It is, You know, is. We, we're both in Colorado. We're probably about what, – what, what part of town are you in again?
1: I'm in your backyard right now. Are you really? Yeah, I can see you through the window. No, That's I'm just kidding. I'm in, I'm in Boulder.
0: That's really creepy, dude. <laughs> well, we were just joking offline that, that David looked like uh, like a, a, a little Jesus figure because he had the light on behind him and the silhouette. So now now he is omnipotent. Weird. <laughs> so I was in Boulder on Saturday, and I ran South Mesa Trail in, in about – Six inches of snow and muck and mud and, mud and really cold wind. On Sunday, yeah. I ran some trails down here near my place. Literally, probably one of the coldest days of the whole year, winter-wise. And uh, yesterday morning, I ran a trail. There was no snow to be found. It felt like it was five hundred degrees out because it's been really cold lately. And it's almost eighty degrees today. What's up yeah. with that, man?
1: It's crazy, man. That's Colorado. That's why we're here.
0: No, nobody understands this. They just don't get it. It's crazy. So. Well,
1: it, the weather here matches my my own emotional weather forecasts. You know, constantly changing, constantly evolving, switching. So it's a good match.
0: <laughs> so the, this is um, this just popped into my head. I should have talked about you. I can edit this out if, if, if there's a, if there's a negative answer to this question. <laughs> but uh, I was going to ask before, and I forgot. Is there any way that we could we could uh, possibly do a giveaway for for one of your books to the listeners?
1: Oh, that's totally unreasonable.
0: Okay <laughs> yeah, of that, course just, 10. that just got <laughs> edited out <laughs> well it 's such a cool Perfect. book, and I think you know if the if the right type of person kind of reaches out, um, it would just be a great thing but what i 'll do is i I'll, I'll set up a link atheonfire slash out there and uh here in about a week from release i 'll put the date on the on the site as well, and we 'll give somebody the book and uh, it will be something simple like put your email in and we 'll do a little raffle okay. Um, but it's such a powerful story. I want people to know. It. So, so we'll do that. Um, slash out there. Definitely check that out, but listen to the rest of this. So, so Dave, let's back up a little bit. Let's give people, um, the last show that we did in about a minute. Tell us your background, um, where life has kind of led you and, and, and where you are now versus then, and just kind of dive in again really quick.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I have that distinction of of being called a uh, formerly morbidly obese alcoholic, I think is the one that's put out there the most. Um, I used to weigh 320 pounds, had a whole host of medical conditions, uh, heart condition, diabetes, high blood pressure, two herniated discs in my spine that I didn't even know about at the time, and the list kind of goes on. And, um, you know, I said that I don't think that drugs and alcohol and food were the problem for me. They were the symptom. It was uh, it was a, the symptom of a, a underlying condition. And running kind of helped me address what that condition was and kind of reinvent myself. And and you know it started out as very recreational, and it's taken me to you know the world of ultramarathon running and, and stuff like that.
0: Awesome. And and the the book out there was it based on on your story uh, of how running kind of helped you get out of that.
1: It is, man. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think it makes for an interesting case study, right? Cause you know, not everyone needs to lose 160 pounds and not everyone probably wants to go run bad water, you know, 135 mile race across death Valley. But I think we all do instinctively know that, you know, we can change that. There's a better version of ourselves inside and, you know, we're not necessarily constrained by, um, the perceptions that we have of ourself. Um, and so I went I went into out there from that kind of perspective. You know, it's it's got weight loss in it, of course. It's got running in it. It's got addiction in it. But it's not necessarily as much about those particulars as it is what the mental process of the journey was like. You know, what, what it was like to stand on the treadmill for the first time weighing 300 plus pounds and, you know, showing up at my first race and kind of deconstructing the image I had of myself as that, guy who couldn't lose weight, the guy who couldn't shake addiction, and creating image of, of the ultra marathon runner and, and the, the determined, more focused me.
0: What what was the habit or the characteristic that you now looking back noticed that you really did not possess that since has, has kind of changed your life, if there is one um that really stands out?
1: Well, you know, addicts are really good at giving up on themselves. You know, it's it's almost it's uncomfortable sometimes to believe in yourself, you know, because that, that, that kind of puts the the emphasis on you, you know, that you have to follow through on that. So sometimes it's easier to just disconnect and I certainly did that a lot. I would shy away from from challenges sometimes. And even even though there are times in my life where I did the opposite, you know what I mean? Like in business and in my career, I was I was very A-type. I think that's the confusing thing about the picture of the alcoholic, right? They they can be very driven. People. You know, there's a lot of athletes and, and business people and, and such who, who struggle with addiction. But then in the personal life, you know, that you kind of withdraw away from that, you know, because, because it's kind of an illusion. You know, you're creating – the drive comes from creating a, 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 a false image of yourself, right? You're afraid of being exposed. So you put all this energy into building a business or a career so that people won't know you're kind of worthless, and so then, in your personal life you you totally withdraw and you you give up on yourself, so that was it for me um I just was kind of got tired of you know feeling like a piece of shit you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> i I think uh, a lot of people could relate to being tired of feeling like a piece of piece of crap so uh moving back a little bit i I have this well I, I think we've all heard the stories of the runner or or the 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 addict who took to running or the person who had. Tragedy that took to running, and they use it as a form of stress relief, of course, but just as another escape. Is there is there harm in that, in your opinion? You
1: know, I can only speak for myself, um, but it is something you have to kind of be aware of. You know, and and not surprisingly, this is a topic that comes up a lot, um, especially with people who have read my book. And and that's kind of like the, the 800 pound gorilla, right. It's like, is, is he addicted to running? Is he just as off balance, you know, (laughs) but now he's running instead of popping pills and drinking whiskey. And, you know, I don't feel the need to like defend myself from that. Um, but I do feel the need sometimes to, to explain where, where I come from on it. And, you know, I think addiction has, um, and an, a destructive component to it, right? Like you can't be addicted to loving your kids or going to church or, you know, doing something that, that changes your life for the better. Um, so the addiction part is, is the compulsive need to engage in something despite negative consequences. And certainly running can fall into that. You know? <laughs> there's probably People listening who are like, Hey, wait a minute. That's me. That's my running. Right. <laughs> Cause no, no runner has ever run while injured. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> So, but as an addict, I, I know that voice, right? I know that voice and, and I make sure that, um, I think we talked about this briefly last time that my running has to resemble my recovery. You know, it can't resemble my addiction and it's an ebb and flow. You know, there are some times where you are kind of white knuckling it, right? And you're like, you start getting some results, you start getting success. I mean, I never expected to be you know, anything other than a back of the pack runner. So you start working hard, you start seeing some results and there's a need to want to control that, you know, and to try to push into it and, and make running, you know, another job or another, another addiction. So I, I, I back away from that, you know, when I, when I hear that voice and I know that I recognize it from, from my past. So I spend a lot of time, um, letting go. I mean, the whole thing for me has been a process of letting go. Yeah. You know, when I was that 320 pound alcoholic. Strangely, if you'd have talked to me back then, I would have told you, you know, how awesome I was. You know, I'd have told you how I have everything figured out and how smart I am, and which is just a tragic joke. And walking away from that took that, you know, just getting beat down and going, "Shit, I don't know anything." You know, I, I got nothing figured out. You know, yeah. so that's it's surrender. It's constant surrender.
0: Awesome. I, I love um, being told by the world that i don 't know anything on a regular basis <laughs> it 's <do> <laughs> a challenge i mean it's ch- it ha- 's going to happen if you put yourself out there um, just a little bit outside of your comfort zone you're going you 're going to figure that um, things aren 't as easy as they seem but but they can be good and i think um, so I do have a question, not a question but maybe an observation and maybe just something to for people who are listening you know i think uh early on in ultra running the there were a lot of people that you would learn about that were running to run off their demons and to each his own. I think it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a healthy outlet for people. Exercise in general is a healthy outlet for people. Um, but I, I think the takeaway too is these things, these endeavors, these goals to go run really far or do really big things are, are really good for everyone. And and it might not be running for you. It might be something else for you, but really pushing your body and mind together at the same time, you don't have to come from, from a, from a weird background or from, uh, addiction, or from from stress, or, or or tragedy, you can get out there, and it's gonna it's gonna improve the quality of your life, no matter where you're at right now. Is that is that good to say?
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I actually think that that desire to push those limits and find out what you're capable of is is the evolutionary response in in all people from you know ten thousand years of civilization, right? Like we we didn't used to have free time. Right. We were so busy hunting and gathering and, and shielding ourselves from the elements and animals and all that kind of crap that, you know, we didn't have time to just sit and think about how messed up we were. Right. We were <laughs> engaged in that, that activity. Um, and so, obviously, civilization has, has pushed forward mankind. But I think as a result of that, we we're kind of stuck with these these barriers, these limits, Um I actually was talking about this with a friend the other day that I'm not even sure there really is such a thing as limits, right? That, that maybe all limits are created by human beings and they're, they're buried in our mind um, as a result of, you know, this civilized, well, I don't have to go out into the elements anymore. You know, I don't have to fight for my food. I don't have to fight off invading tribes, you know. So those things became, somehow went from I don't have to do them to I can't do them. Right. You know, and and nowadays we're in that place where you know your your average person and certainly me looked at the task of running a hundred miles and said the the instinctive response is I can't do that, you know. But yeah. obviously that was not true.
0: Yeah, that's probably not true for most people. Really,
1: it's not true. I I believe that wholeheartedly.
0: So we're going to talk about the Zen Epic, which which was a celebration of sobriety over ten years. We're going to talk about that in a second um, regarding uh, the book out there. You wrote it. It's a bestseller. These are all cool things, but tell me about some of the interactions. Maybe a few of the interactions that you've had with people that have reached out because I'm sure that's happened quite often. Um, what's that like? Tell me some of the stories. Yeah, it's
1: it's been just absolutely mind blowing. You know, I mean, I I really didn't go into it with any expectation. You know, of of people buying it or reading it or, or anything. I, it was something I had to do for me, and I had to write it brutally honestly you know I, I didn't i didn't want to i've read a lot of, of memoirs of of people who have found sobriety and most of them are from like rock stars you know and it's really easy to to glamorize or even attach your ego to some of those those drunk stories right oh, I was so crazy i was out of control you know snort cocaine and chasing strippers and and, but that's not the real, that's not what it is, right? The reality of it is, is it's, it's sad and shameful and it hurts other people. You know, it's not just you. So I went from it from that personal, I'm going to tell, when I talk about my addiction, I'm going to talk about the embarrassing things, the humiliating things, the things that just totally made me feel subhuman. Um, and I thought maybe that might be too much to release. You know what I mean? Like I needed to get it out. So anyway, in in writing it and then eventually deciding that I was going to release it, I kind of assumed, you know, that if you're so and so and you struggle with addiction in your own life that that it might speak to you. But I didn't really expect it to 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 resonate with family members, you know, who had people in their lives that had addiction and and, and people who had, who had battled through their own stuff that isn't necessarily a chemical addiction. You know, like you said, they've been through some traumatic event or they had a tough childhood or they're in an abusive place. So I didn't expect that. And I'm still amazed, you know, and thankful to take time out of your own personal life to read about mine to me is is an amazing gift and and something that i i don't take lightly so i've responded to every message that's ever been sent to me whether it's through twitter facebook email you know um and and i do so you know with um with a lot of empathy and but i've had um i had a mom show up at the finish line of one of my races who had just lost her son to um heroin addiction uh, overdose and um she just showed up because she had read the book and she wanted to talk to me about it and um you know those personal stories um, of people saying you know i couldn 't understand what my son went through, but reading what you went through gives me some some sort of insight that you know he even though he might have been doing really terrible things behaviorally that he wasn 't doing it because he was you know trying to hurt people he was he was in a battle and, and a really hopeless one and I think we know that, but reading the specifics of someone else's story maybe humanizes it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but probably the biggest thing—I um, don't want to put any one thing over another—but but a very big thing that happened to me was meeting this lady Deb Kelly, and um, I met her. She's in Boston, and her 16-year-old daughter Sophie Kelly had just died of an her- heroin overdose, and she was getting ready to run the Boston Marathon last year in, in Sophie's honor. And we just got into this conversation about how. You know, it's not just the addict themselves who, who is touched by addiction. You know, it's the parents. It's, the, it's a whole group of people. So, you know, we just in conversation to boil down to there is like the, the addicts themselves, right? The ones who are still out there struggling. There's, there's the ones like me that have been lucky enough to, to make it out alive. Then there's the the family members affected by addiction. And then there's the ones who didn't make it out alive, you know, the ones that, that addiction, they'd lost their battle. So that was those four groups that ended up becoming the Quad Boston Marathon I ran. I ran the Boston Marathon four times in one day. And I did the last one with Deb um, for Sophie. And it was just, I mean, that put it all kind of full circle. Like being at that finish line, and and feeling the weight of that was was life-changing
0: yeah so uh probably what's happening with people finding you besides the referrals and people sharing it with with people they think it might affect is you know people are going through the addiction and then or they're going through the family member that has the addiction or whatever and uh and they just want to learn more to relate i'm sure and then they do an amazon search and they probably find a handful of books and they just start reading just trying to understand it is that is that how people are finding you
1: it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing age, right? Like, we live in an age where you can read a book, and then because of social media and stuff, you can reach out, right? Like, that didn't exist before. So I, I, I think that, like, the universe and in its infinite wisdom, you know, allowed me to share my story at a time where it could be interactive and not just a one way, you know? It's not just, like, the book, and I don't get to see the individual stories that it's touching, you know? But... But nowadays, like through Facebook and Twitter and everything, you can you can get that amazing interaction and, and see it touching other people. So that I mean, that's just a, a tremendous a tremendous thing. I mean, because ultimately, what it is is um, it's the writing a book about addiction is humanizing people who are going through you know almost subhuman circumstances. Right? You're you're, you're devolving to where you're you're almost. Not a real person anymore. You're so selfish, so internally twisted that you would do things like stealing and lying and cheating, and, and that, that that they wouldn't do. It's just it's they've they've gone totally inside to the addiction.
0: So I'm going to talk about. I have one more question that just popped into my weird head, and uh, and then we're going to go into some some of the fun stuff. Like, does that an epic? I don't even know what your ten ten things were. So I, I can't wait to hear them. Um, <laughs> and I have friends. I, I have friends that have done some crazy stuff for like their 60th birthday. Were really adventurous, climbing and all this stuff. But okay. So I'm thinking here, and this is this is something that comes up with runners all the time, talking about how we were back in the days, hunters and gatherers, and how our bodies are really um, probably meant to move like that. You know, it's 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 well documented. It's an easy it's an easy way to explain things. But but going back into other behaviors, you know, the stresses weren't there. We weren't sitting around worrying about things like you just said. But was addiction something that was innate? is addiction been around forever? Is it, is is this a new concept?
1: You know, that's a, a powerful question, you know? And, um, I think that addiction is, especially chemical addiction is, is a symptom and not a, not a problem. Right. Like, so I think the underlying problem is, is loss of self, right? Like we lose the ability to just be connected in a simple way to who we are. And, we create these pictures of how the world is supposed to be. I think supposed to be are probably the the two most or three most damaging words, you know, as, as modern humans, you know, it's supposed to be this or it should be this. And so we start creating futures and attachments and then things don't go out the way we think they are. And, and that creates this suffering and this need to control more and more. And that manifests itself in the addict as in, for me, especially, I I couldn't just stand still and be David Clark, and you know, I couldn't just be me, you know. So I, if I wasn't out trying to build a business, you know, trying to accomplish something, then if left to just sit and be me, I couldn't. So I would drink, I would use, I would eat, or I would do something to stop the inner chatter. You know, it was it, it just had to go away. So you're constantly trying to um, quiet yourself and find happiness from the outside in. Right. And and not the inside out.
0: So loss of self back in the, the caveman days might have looked something different. I don't even know what it would look like. But
1: the Crow magnon equivalent of a first world problem.
0: <laughs> I know. Like what would you what would you do? Like are you just picking your toenails too much? Like to the stubs? Like is that what you're doing? Trying to feel some pain? I don't I really don't know. I'm not trying to make light of it. maybe
1: maybe it manifests itself in, in aggression, right? And 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 you know abusive behaviors towards other people. And I, I don't know, man. Someone yeah. much smarter than me is gonna have to address those issues. But it's- I'm pretty sure that... For me, no matter what time era that I lived in, I'd have been a fucked up addict and I had, <laughs> had to fix the problem.
0: <laughs> Cocoa Leaves. <laughs> I um, might have invented it. Right? You like, might have that's... invented tobacco. You'd be a very wealthy man, actually. That's that's what. Well, the happened. Irish invented whiskey, right? Yeah, Water. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so goofiness right there. All right, so uh, before we get into Zen Epic Ten, I do this with every guest, no matter if I prep them or not. I'm going to put you on the spot, but I want something tangible. I want to work out. I want a, ch- a physical challenge that people can go try, whether whether it's running or in the gym, whatever. So, what do you got for people?
1: So. And you, you, you really do mean the the a physical yeah. workout, yeah, not I want, just.
0: I want something tangible for people to go do. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll be listening to the show while they, while they do the rest of it. You know.
1: Sure. Um, so the the most common advice people give in in ultra, especially, but I think in all of running, is don't go out too fast. Right. So my advice is: on your next run, go out too fast. Go out as fast as you possibly can for a predetermined distance. Let's call it five miles. Go out as hard as you possibly can and blow the hell up and deal with it. Because you'll find, just like in life, that once the wheels fall apart, you're going to learn a lot about what's under the hood and what's in there. So take it five miles, go out so fast you blow up and then hold on for dear life.
0: I love, you know what? I, I love that on so many levels because everyone says don't go out too fast. And that's with the hopes of finishing something. But every kid that you'll see that's under 18 years old that wants to win, they go out too fast. They push themselves, and they adapt because of that. I know the first 5K that I ever ran, it it wasn't before I was 22. I, I was doing all power sports. I went out too fast, and then I suffered for the last mile. But even even looking at times over my whole life, like it's still probably one of the better 5Ks I've ever done. Um, Ryan Atkins, who's one of the best uh, obstacle racers in the world, Uh, he was out here in Colorado and I went went to go have a beer with him and he was talking about, I was asking him what his strategy is. He's like, I go out as hard as I can and then I just hold on for dear life and see what happens. And he wins every single week. He just won a 50 miler last week. He's, he's a beast. Um, but isn't that, isn't that powerful? Like to see what you're made of. I mean, I'm such a wimp anymore because I've been following so much of the science behind it, but you really gotta see what you're, you're made of. Right.
1: I agree. I mean, to me, like, the ultimate gift of running, like the ultimate goal is to learn something about yourself. You don't know. Right. And I going out too slow or or not going out too fast, I should say the result of that for me was being a back of the pack runner. And it was like a switch when, when I had, I'd finished Leadville for the first time and on my second hundred mile attempt, it was my goal to go out and see what would happen. And I'm no, you know, Scott Jurek or Marshall or I'm not one of those guys, but I became 10 times the runner I was when I started going out too fast. I've also blown up miraculously and not finished some races because of it too. But, you know, the first time I ever lined up for a race and told my friend, I told her, like, I'm going to win today or I'm going to blow up. And either way, it's going to be fun to watch, take pictures, you know, and I won. And it was just afterwards, you're like, wow. Wow. Like, that would have <laughs> never happened if I had not gone out too
0: fast, right? Take pictures, baby. I love it. All right. Th- <laughs> this is Zen Epic 10. you celebrating 10 years of sobriety. Um, all right. Let's dive in. I want to hear all about
1: <laughs> So the cool thing um, about it for me was that, you know, because it was this kind of outward affirmation of of 10 years of sobriety, the Zen part of that is that, you know, I wanted to be. My goal for all the 10 events that I chose was to be more present, more aware of of what I was doing than I than I previously had. It was just to be very mindful of everything that was going on and to just be a sponge and take in as much of each event as I could. The epic, of course, says itself. I wanted them to be really, you know, big things that were, you know, worthy of a of a big effort. Um, and obviously the 10 was for the 10 years of sobriety. So, um, but I didn't try to control it, right? Like I, before I would have, you know, mapped it all out and looked at it carefully and I just kind of let it happen organically. I I knew a couple of them were kind of set in stone, like Leadville and Badwater. Those are just going to be races for me. But around that, I tried to, um, let it happen and be open to what was going to present itself, just like the Boston, um, So the first event was the, um, U S national trail championship at Rocky raccoon in February. And it was a hundred mile race. And, um, you know, I, I'd done it before, but I mean, my goal was to go out and, um, you know, kind of go, not go out too fast (laughs) and see what I was capable of doing. So it was like, so the first one was going to be, you know, just like go fast and, and see if I could, um, you know, maybe do well out there. I did really well in the 50 miler there, um, the previous year so my my hope was to to you know maybe pr and, and have a great hundred and universe had other plans for me you know
0: <laughs> how'd it go what, what happened
1: i ran 20 hours and 19 minutes or something like that which was a couple hours off my goal i actually threw my back out trying to do a 15 minute plank <laughs> like a week before the race
0: <laughs> good, good training there dude That's yeah awesome. <laughs> That's a quick course, so, right? Isn't that one of the quicker courses? It is,
1: man. Like for, for the elite guys, you know, like Hal Kerner and Ian Sherman, those guys, I think the course record is like 1305 or maybe even sub-13 now. I don't even know. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Nice. Ridiculous. Right. So that was cool. Um, the, the second event, um, see, that was uh, February. I'm going to have to pull them up so I don't get mixed up myself. But um, was the quad bot? Oh, no. I went to L.A., in March, and I tried to set the world record for the um, greatest distance run on a treadmill in 12 hours, and then I ran the LA Marathon, like, the day after that, um, and, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, you know, this damn 12-hour world record thing has been, like, my nemesis, man, like, um, I went for it in one time, the first time I went for it, I uh, I came up about, well, Two days before I tried to break the record, the record was like super low hanging fruit. You know, I knew I could kind of get it. It was like sixty three or sixty four miles, and and um, I knew I could run you know seventy two, seventy something like that. You know, um, the treadmill records are hard. You know, they're 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 not as um, the the records on the tracks and stuff like that are much longer. The treadmill just kind of beats you down. Anyway, so I went out and I, I heard that someone had broken the record two days before I did it, and it was reported that they ran like ninety seven miles in 12 hours and I was like just like whatever you know like you know in the absence of wearing roller blades, I'm not gonna even come close to that so I just like went out and and made it a fun day with some friends and and let that go which was kind of cool you know like it was part of the letting go process like well if I'm only running for records and I'm doing it wrong anyway so I just ran and, and did what I best and I came up and, and so I ran 74 miles at that time, but nice. I found out afterwards that they, he didn't run 97, he ran 76 and That's
0: slightly different. Well, what happened
1: is the, and it was like the Guinness people, they misconverted the kilometers to miles. Oh, okay. So yeah, I only missed it by two miles. So I was kind of like, that kind of left a weird taste in my mouth. Cause I'm like, well, could I have found that extra two miles? You know?
0: Yeah. Over 12 hours. It's possible. And,
1: And then so for Zen Epic 10 event number two was the second time I went after this 12-hour record. So this time I'm like, okay, I'm going to run. I'm going to just, you know, tear it up. Same thing happened, man. Two days before, somebody broke the record and ran 80 miles. (laughs) And so I I hung it out there and I ran 77. But that was all I had, man. I PR'd fifty K, fifty miles, hundred K. I PR'd everything on the way. So when I got off the treadmill, it was like no hard feelings. Like that was that was what I had. It was it was really, really cool. It was and it was cool to know, you know, like kind of going back to what we were talking about before about trusting yourself and, and not giving up on yourself. It was cool to um, kind of if you can observe yourself from the outside to, to like watch. Um, I was happy that I was able to to push hard through to the end, knowing that there was never going to be any record, right? That, that that really wasn't going to happen. But but I wanted to see how close I could come. So that was really pretty cool. Yeah.
0: And, and you said that if you're running for records, it wasn't the right reason. I, I would also Absolutely. like to add that if you're running on a treadmill for 12 hours, do you even need a reason? Because there's something going on there. a <laughs> many, right. Like, that's a, that's a, whole, that's a whole different uh, – mentality and sickness. That's crazy. The longest I've ever run on a treadmill on purpose was six miles and I don't know how you guys do it. I, I guess I could if I had an interest, but it's pretty amazing. That's really cool, man.
1: Well, you know, like it's like we said with the, the five-mile challenge, Like I, the, the, the main overwhelming reason why I run, and I'm certainly not alone in that, but the main reason I run is to find out something about myself I don't know. Yeah. And As much as I'm a trail runner, man, I love the trail. It's easy to find a beauty on the trail right? It's, it's hard when you're staring at a white wall, you know, in front of you. So you have to go inside. You can't, you can't go outside to find beauty. When you're running on a treadmill, you have to look inside and you have to, you know, find a comfortable place, you know, where you're okay with pushing yourself, but you can let it go enough to just be there and be present. And so it's, it's, it presents its own kind of twisted
0: beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I would say Twisted Beauty. I know. Uh, so we we have contributors on on Fire now. So we start taking other sh- other shows. People that are just kind of getting into it. Um, and these these two girls up in uh, up in Canada, they're they're on the the 100K team for for Team Canada. They're really really peppy. They have a great they have a great approach, and they're getting really good at the podcasting thing. But uh, Ariel of Ultra Dirt, if you guys are listening, go check it out. Um, she's about to go try to break the the 50 and the 100. K or 1500 miler. I wasn't prepared to share this, but she's doing it in a week from Friday, I think. And they're doing it for a charity and for a cause. And, and it's going to be a pretty cool big thing, but man, the mentality, you know, she, she tread, treadmill or track treadmill,
1: treadmill. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Good for her. So that's, and a, I hope You
0: you know what I'll do? I'll introduce you guys, and you can give her a couple pointers maybe because it'll probably help. (laughs) I can tell her what not to do. I can tell her how
1: to come up just short.
0: (laughs) Don't look at social media two days before so you have no idea what the record is. That's Uh,
1: probably probably something pretty smart.
0: That's four. So we got the U.S. National Trail Championship, 12-hour treadmill, LA Marathon, 12-hour treadmill.
1: Well, the treadmill – the treadmill attempt and LA Marathon was actually event number two.
0: Oh, that that was a combo so that, event. Okay, yeah. so I
1: I did the twelve hour run and then I actually ran the LA Marathon with a, a few friends um, as the victory lap. I guess you call it that. I don't know. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was for Runwell. So it was for a group that um, you know used running as a mechanism to help people get out of, of addiction. So it was oh, cool. like the people I was running with were like myself. They were former addicts, and and so it was really kind of cool. It's
0: really cool. Yeah, we'll give them a shout out on the show notes and. What, did that feel like a jog? Did that feel like a lap around Wash Park or easy jog after being on the treadmill or was it really really hard? You know, it's one of those
1: things where definitely sitting in the car at Dodger Stadium at 4:30 in the morning, I was questioning why I felt this was an important thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, why can't you just run the 12 hour, you dumbass? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was it was cool, man. I mean, it's a the body's an amazing thing, you know. Like I ran you know the first 8 miles or so is pretty pretty tight pretty painful and, and eventually just loosened up and i ran a reasonable marathon you know?
0: yeah do you, do you do any strength or or core stuff do you do a lot of that
1: do man i do i do a lot um Good. i do a lot of uh balance agility proprioception single leg squats core work i own a gym so i like yeah you know, i'm a big proponent of strength training and um i think that's why i've been able to knock on wood stay injury free you know yeah.
0: You know, I know Ian Ian Charman pretty well, and every time I see him in person, we have this talk all the time. But just the way that really high level ultra runners look versus like marathoners and and shorter distance stuff. But the, the goal of the marathon and anything below that for the elites is speed. So even yeah. if you watch Boston this year, if you if you watch the broadcast, they're talking about the average um, kilograms that the best runners in the world have dropped over the last 15 years, and it's pretty significant. Um, wow. But then ultra runners like fueling is, is the big thing. And then durability because you're on trails for so long. So if you have little frail, skinny, skinny legs, like the durability thing comes into play. So when I'm t- trying to explain to people who are getting into the longer distances, how important strength and range of motion and being a durable athlete is, it starts to click a bit. So that, that's cool. I always like to ask ultra runners, um, what their strength regimen is. Plus if you own a gym and you don't go use it, that's just silly. So, uh, all right, so let's keep going through this epic ten here.
1: So number four was the Quad Boston Marathon. Um, I, was, uh, I did that in April. So I ran just kind of logistics-wise. I started at the, the starting or the finish line, rather, and um, ran to the start in Hopkinton. For those that don't know, Boston's point-to-point course. So I ran out to the start, then I ran back. And I ran out to the start and did the official Boston Marathon with, with the group. Um, I was the last official starter of the Boston Marathon. Nice. <laughs> they were pulling up the timing mats as I came there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had it timed almost perfectly. Like I knew when my wave went off. It was really tough because
0: – You just ran oh, three marathons, but continue. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Besides that, logistically, logistically it was tough because the B, the Boston Athletic Association – Um, they were very gracious and they let us do the run Um, but they had some rules we weren't allowed to wear hydration vests or any type of backpacks because of the bombing and the security and so the first marathon it was easy right like I had my crew following me and I could stop but as they started setting up the course and closing down the roads it became harder and harder for my crew to find me and I couldn't carry nutrition in a pack so it was like literally like in my hands so by the time we were maybe 10 miles into the third marathon, I'd lost contact with my crew entirely. And and so the nutrition part became very difficult. And then when we finally made the start of the official marathon, the marathons aren't ultras, right? Those aid stations are like Gatorade and water. You know, they didn't have food. So I was literally like, Picking up packets, gel packets that people were dropping. Like if I saw anything in the road and it was raining, it was like thirty eight <laughs> degrees and I would like picking up gel packs and <laughs> <laughs> running up to people on the side of the road and like, Are you done with that sandwich? You know? <laughs> like
0: <laughs> That's pretty so awesome, dude. It was pretty intense. Okay, since you were the last official starter, did you that's actually kind of a cool stat, you know? Um, <laughs> were you trying to run people down or were you just trying to finish? You know, it'd be can- fun.
1: It became this really beautiful thing that, um, like, so starting in the pack, you know, we started running. And what happened is we got – we were about a mile from the from the start, a <laughs> mile from finishing the Marathon 3, and there's, like, this bottleneck coming out of Hopkinton. And the police stopped me and made me get off the road and let the whole race come through. So um, – if that hadn't happened, I think we would have made the perfect timing to go off in our corral. Mm-hmm. So I had to stand there for like 15 minutes, which was just brutal. It was raining and I was cooling down. and But it turned out great because like being the last starter gave us this amazing thing to just like the whole race was in front of us. Yeah, And so yeah. me and my pace, we just started and, you know, you know, marathon, you know, most people, even if you're running slower speed, you're still trying to do it as fast as you can. And I was you know just holding on for dear life and but the, the the heart of any race is in the back right it's not up front you know the, the that that might be the most impressive part of the race, you know, seeing the the elites, but the heart is in the back, so as we ran through, I just got to share so many stories with all these people, why they were running because you know your average you know I think we ended up at like six hours and ten minutes or six hours and five minutes for the last marathon, so the people we were running with had amazing reasons for being out there you know there are people with medical challenges and 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 different things that they'd overcome and this was like way outside of their comfort zone so it became cool and then the crowd so we're running you know and they don't know how far you the last thing you're going to think is i wonder how many times this guy's run the marathon right you just you see someone right <laughs> you know in obvious pain right so the encouragement people were just like you know, coming out from the stands to like pat me on the back and say, you can do it, man. Keep going, keep going. And, you know, I felt no need whatsoever to say, you know, Hey, this is the fourth time I've done this. You know, it was just like being able to receive that encouragement and and be a part of, of that was, was awesome. Just like awesome. in in every way,
0: does the crowd stay pretty good through the end? Amazing, man. Like, well, that that
1: made it weird too, because you know, usually if you finish a hundred miler, there's nobody out there, you know. <laughs> certainly, no one cheering you on, and there's certainly there's certainly not like a finish line with twenty thousand people there. So it was a little overwhelming. You, know, you finish Leadville, you know, there's like, you know, a guy hands you a buckle, and there's like four people ringing a cowbell. You
0: know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's definitely unique. Sweet. Okay, so we got quad woes next. So
1: um, that would be April. So in May, I ran the um, Squaw Peak 50. Um, and uh, I did that for a group called Addict to Athlete. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of like a really cool um, – I'm not going to call it a surrender, but like a cool – just like I said, um, I wanted to let the, the events happen organically. And so at first, my first initial response was, well – you know, is a 50-miler epic enough? You know what I mean? And then, you know, my answer to that question was, like, just the fact that I answered that question or that I asked that question, the answer is going to be yes. Of course, 50 miles is an insanely epic thing to do, and I never want to be in the place where, you know, I start treating that or taking it for granted. So um, I went out, and I got a chance to speak um, about the book with – with um, everyone out there. And then I got to run the race with, with a bunch of friends. So, um, it was an amazing race. Um, lots of people out there doing it for the first time. So I kind of took the opposite approach and just hung out with whoever I happened to be with, you know, like whoever was there experiencing that part of the race with me, I was just there with them and, and didn't feel the need to like, go faster, go slower, or pay any attention to what time I was going to be finishing. And so it was, it was really, really awesome experience.
0: Nice. It's pretty out there too. Um, all right. Number six.
1: Number six would be, um, the, uh, or are we at six or five? I think we're on five, right?
0: Uh, we have us national. We have the 12 hour with LA marathon. Then we have the other 12 hour. Was that a new one or is that the same? No, it was just one, just one. one. Okay. The,
1: the, the other one was the year before.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And then we okay, yeah, so now we're on number five.
1: We're on number five, which would be the Badwater one thirty five. Badwater. Nice. Yeah. And that would be my third third time at Badwater. Um much of the the book that I'm writing right now is, is about my experience at Badwater. It was um probably the most life changing experience I've ever had on a on a race course. It was wow. it was insane it was <laughs> i think that was the first time i really experienced the insanity that not only ultra marathoning is but es- especially bad water 135 you know you hear for those who don't know you know about that race you know you hear the stories of like you know people frying eggs on the road and you know hallucinating and and i got to experience it all um <laughs> i went in that race Feeling very trained, very fit. Um, I was, you know, definitely th- physically I was capable of, of running it fast, um, fast for me. And, um, you know, somewhere around the 30, 32 hour mark. And um, it just, the wheels fell off almost instantly. Like I lost 10 pounds in the first two hours. Oh my gosh. And like I was, I was falling down onto the road. Literally like at first I would, the strange like impulse came over me. Like I'm running I'm fighting off sleep even though I'm only a couple hours into the race. And I would start to like – my body would start to lower itself to the ground while I was running. And then I'd like wake up and go, what are you doing? Like keep running. And and eventually I lost the ability to control that. So my body would just go down and it would like throw me onto the road. And I would stand the road for 10 or 15 seconds and I'd jump back up and start running again. <laughs> and um, my crew was obviously a little concerned. And it caused this like tremendous amount of panic. Inside, um, because you know, I I was I, I I just didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know what was going on with my body. The race itself was so important, so I was struggling with all of the the things that I'm usually pretty good at. Right, like over the years doing these big races, I have become pretty good at staying out of my own head, and, yeah, you know, and and letting it go and just trusting the process and being present. I'm usually pretty good at that, but all of a sudden, I was terrible at it. I was. My mind was racing. I was thinking, how how am I gonna run, you know, hundred and twenty more miles like this? You know, how how am I gonna, you know, just so it became an all out battle. And um, you know, I, I was in the medical tent at mile seventeen. Um
0: this is all that early?
1: Yeah, oh it can't happen almost instantly, man. It was like literally like just like that. It took me three and a half hours, I think, to go to the first seventeen miles of the race.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, by
1: the time i hit mile 50 everyone behind me had dropped already so i was in last place and my pacer who flew out he he hadn't experienced this yet this was me and my crew he flew out and he was supposed to meet us out there at the 50 mile point and and run with me he figured he missed us because he saw the whole race come through he's like well shit that's it that's that's the that's the end of it you know and then 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 i came <laughs> staggering through looking like death. and he was like and, sweet i don't have to work and, and, well and he's he's a good pacer because he just like could look at me and say you look great <laughs> 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 with really like you know calling my kids and telling them that <laughs> your yesterday. dad
0: loves you <laughs> right
1: so um it uh you know at one point that was at the 50 mile point um there was this kind of not a hard cutoff, but this cutoff where if you didn't make this point, I think it was mile 54, by such and such time, then you really needed to drop. You were urged to drop because you're going to really struggle in the heat of, of day two if you couldn't get you know, far enough along the course. So <laughs> Chris Kosman, the race director, actually came out um, at that point, and we were going up Towns Pass. It's a really long 17-mile climb. And I was going in, in his words uh, about a mile on one mile per hour, and um, he did his best to. Uh, if you if you've ever been an ultra and you're in a situation where the race director and your crew are trying to talk you into quitting, <laughs> you're probably not having a good race. <laughs> Usually, they're telling you the opposite, right? Like you look great, you. Can they're like, dude, you're fucked. <laughs> you know, like, not your day. <laughs> and um, you know. I wanted to quit. I had this really brutally honest, this is great for anyone who's like an aspiring ultra runner to the, like the main thing is like, no matter how bad it is inside, let it out. I don't, don't hold for me as an addict, I've learned, I can't keep secrets, right? That's once I start keeping secrets, I go to a bad place. So I was struggling with all these thoughts of wanting to quit, wanting to be done, wanting to call quits. And and the only thing I could think to do is to share it. And I was telling, you know, Chris the race director and I was telling my pacer and crew like I think I just want to be done man like I think I just want to quit I think I want to call it um what do you think about that it's obviously not my day and my my friend Nico said well you know will you be okay with that if you do it I'm like fuck of course I won't <laughs> you know I'm mean, like I mean I'm like going to you know two weeks of depression afterwards if I drop out of this race and so that just saying that out loud I realized that I just made my choice and, and Chris told me he would let me keep going if I could get to Panama Springs, which is about another 20 some odd miles by midnight. And, um, you know, I've had this like really cool experience in, and a lot of this is in the book out there where like I've had some of these like crazy, like come from behind races where I've been like just on desk door and everyone does an ultra. That's what keeps us going back. But you know, it's definitely in my standard MO of a hundred miler. Like I definitely have a period where I fall apart and then I tend to rally So I had this hope that that was going to happen, and it basically didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I had one small rally um, coming after we got to the top of Towns Pass. I started running really great, put it back together again, and and the crew was like everyone was cheering and whooping and hollering. They're like, all right. Dave's back, you know, we got this thing. And certainly I felt that way. And so we made the cutoff at Panama Spring or Panama Springs way ahead of the time we were supposed to. And it looked like everything was going to be good. And then the sun came out the next day and I fell apart. I was right back to where I was. I was falling on the road and, and I started hallucinating. I hallucinated for 10 solid hours. Um, and when I say hallucinating, I don't mean like, you know, you look at a shadow and it looks like a bunny <laughs> i mean like the white stripe in the road was spinning around in a circle breaking open and talking to me his name was desmond and he would tell me all kinds of stuff about <laughs> the road signs and how far things were and picnic tables started appearing in the center of the road and i couldn't distinguish what was real or not so i had to ask my crew like is that there's not really a Picnic table there, right? Because I really want to lie down on it, <laughs> and, and it's not there. Who was so, I
0: talking? Was this? Was I talking to you? I cannot remember because I've talked to so many people. But someone who understood, maybe it was Marshall. I can't remember. Anyway, someone was talking about this whole concept of the hallucina- hallucinations, right? And they yeah. were saying, if this was you, then I apologize. But they're saying that they don't like sharing a lot of that because being an addict, they're like. Well, every addict in the world is just going to start running for that, for the (laughs) hallucinations.
1: Well, you know, I I shared it, but like, it wasn't a pleasant experience. You know, like, I used to take hallucinogenics, right? That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Not fun at all. (laughs) And anyway, so without, you know, I'm already dragging this way out, but um, basically the whole race came down to this. I knew I couldn't finish. You know what I mean? I mean, I knew it. I was positive, that I couldn't finish. So the question was, can you move forward even when there's no hope?
0: Yeah.
1: Like, can you find a reason to move forward other than, well, if I keep moving forward, I'm eventually going to finish. And, and the crazy thing is I did finish. And my, my crew did get me there. And it was such a crazy – they had me reciting song lyrics at one point because whenever I stopped talking, I would immediately fall asleep while running just immediately my, my, my eyes would close and I would just start veering off. So I recited the lyrics to every, I think, every song I've, I've ever known, you know. <laughs> and when I got, when I finally made it to the finish, um, I think if my, my crew would have said, like, I was so shocked that it happened, that, that I, that, because it was just survival, right? And that if they would have told me, hey, actually, you didn't finish, man. Like, we drove you here like you you've been in the car for the last 60 miles i would have gone like okay <laughs> <laughs> well thanks thanks for bringing me here
0: would i believed it it would have been fine oh, you killed me that's pretty <laughs> awesome okay so how long did wait how long was this this sounds like it was like four weeks <laughs> but how long was this
1: <laughs> it was 40 hours
0: oh my gosh but
1: the amazing thing about that, man, is like – and I'm still confused by this – is it was actually by 20 minutes my fastest bad walk. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's
1: I don't even I, – yeah, I don't even understand. Like it was – I was so – I think I was so um, present in the struggle that I was running a lot better than I thought I was.
0: Pace didn't really – You know, know what mean? I mean? Like Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was just – I was so internal. Like the, the paces and the running was nothing. It was just – it was just all out survival. So it turned it was beautiful, man. Like in a, I was making notes like as soon as they put me in the car. Like I started making notes cuz I'm like I need to write about this and I need to sort through this and I was like told my crew like everything I said, you
0: know, write it down for me. Like
1: let me know like yeah. this is there's something here that was that was just really cool.
0: Well, I've just decided 5 seconds ago that I'm going to re- release this on becoming ultra as well because we have a lot of first time ultra runners over there. Um, and just people that love the sport. So uh, if I'm, I, there's there's my permission. I know you'll let me. But um, yeah, so this will be really good <laughs> over there. <laughs> permission granted. I'm doing a lot of stuff off the cuff here. All right, uh, so that was number five. You and Desmond ran yep. the
1: Yeah, we can move to these a little quicker. I know I'm like rambling on. No, you're good, But, but uh, next one was uh, <laughs> about two and a half weeks after that, I ran the Leadville 100. <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. That sounds really fun.
1: Yeah, it yeah. was actually. You know, that Same. race – Race is very special to me and, and out there is is um is as much as it is a book about the mental process of change and and becoming new, it's um more physically a story of, of the Leadville one hundred. You know, it's it's very much about that race. It was my first hundred and uh so that race is, you know, just an incredible, credible there's no other ultra like that. You know, every they all have their own unique things and in, in essence every ultra is about you know, being stronger than you think you are, doing more than you think you can and, and overcoming and digging deep. But Leadville has, has managed to capture the essence of that in a way that, that no other race has. And I think it's because of the volume. You know, like there's there's no other hundred mile that I know of where you're gonna be out there with a thousand other people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so it's like there are the aid stations, there's people there, there's a buzz, there's this real big sense of camaraderie, you know. At Badwater it was me. Me and a and a big hole to the center of my soul, you know, it was, <laughs> But out there it's just a little more, you know, camaraderie and, and it's you know I don't know if you can call it a party, but yeah, know, it's, no, I get it. it's it's a joint experience. So I was able to uh get my um fifth buckle, sixth buckle, sixth nice nice. buckle, fifth run buckle and I have one on the bike too. So got that done. It was a great experience. It was it was challenging, you know. You know, obviously I wasn't fully recovered from what had happened to me in Badwater, but And we got it done, Um, amazing, (laughs) thankful, lucky. (laughs) And uh, the next one was um, something that I did locally here in in Lafayette, Louisville area in Colorado. I ran – so I'm a former New Yorker, one of those transplanted New Yorkers, go Rangers, Yankees hat. (laughs) And, uh, you know, 9-11, you know, profoundly – changed me as it did a lot of people but it hit really close to home and so every year I've, I've wanted to do something on 9-11 um to just keep the the spirit of that alive and not not the tragedy that happened right i mean certainly you want to honor the the brave men and women that that responded in that and the people lost but there's just this incredible come together you know in the country you know, and and everyone just forgot about the bullshit of politics and and what that meant. And there was American flags, you know, in every house, every corner, and, and I love that. Man, I'm a profoundly patriotic person, so um, I like to, to I wanted to do something special for that, and um, and I wanted to honor um, New York in particular. Um, so I I don't know where I get some of these stupid ideas, but I thought about you know, there's 343 firefighters lost on 9/11. So I decided to run 343 laps on a high school track here in in Lafayette, and it was really cool because, as crazy as it sounds, like most of the kids in high school right now, they weren't even alive when 911 no, happened.
0: That's crazy, you know. So, so you're old. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I am man. My
1: soul's about 1500. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's a crazy point, man. Oh my gosh.
1: It is, man. And what happened was like, I mean, I almost didn't even tell the high school that I was going to do it. You know, I just wanted to go do it. And, um, but then I was like, well, you know, if they have a track practice or something, you know, I should probably let them know. And so I let them know that I was going to do it and it kind of spread. And we had 2000 people show up what's for this. Yeah. Good. And every kid in every class in the high school, and then even the elementary school and the middle school brought their kids over to run with me. And it just became this, at one point it was like the scene from Rocky, you know, I had all these like kindergartners running around the track <laughs> and we got to talk about, you know, nine eleven 11 in America. And it was, it was incredibly encouraging, you know, that even though a lot of these kids didn't know what it was, that the, the, the patriotic spirit, spirit that existed, even in the absence of knowing you know they know what 911 is they've heard the words right but they weren't there they didn't experience it so it was it was amazing man it was like just a real cool come together community thing that you know happened completely different than than i expected it to happen and you know it was it was um humbling you know and when it was all said and done so there was this, this big fervor with all these people around right and then eventually that went away and it and it, it was just me on the track you know, for the last several hours, you know, I finished around midnight. And, um, so you got to experience these incredible emotional highs and lows. And then at the end, um, you know, I got to go home, you know, and 343 firefighters and 3000 plus people didn't get to go home that day. So, you know, it was, it was incredibly heavy. It was incredibly heavy, but really cool.
0: That's cool, man. Really cool idea. All right. Number eight,
1: Number eight. I'm checking my little list here so I don't forget anything. Get him out of order. Oh eight is um I ran a hundred miles on a treadmill. Back to, and, this, uh,
0: back to the treadmill.
1: You know <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I just really ran forty eight hours on a treadmill at my gym. Did you really? But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I ran um I ran a hundred miles for this guy who had um Greg Ellis an amazing guy. Um and he had read out there And he reached out to me about this event that he had been putting on for a few years called the 24 Hours of Hope. And um, it's a fundraiser for a a treatment facility, um, uh, alcohol addiction treatment facility. So, you know, he said, hey, I'm doing this 24-hour event. You know, will you come out and run 100 miles or run 24 hours or whatever? And um, I said, yeah, uh, (laughs) of course I will, you know. And so I did that. I ran out there and I I decided, you know, that he was going to run the 24 hours. I just wanted to run a hundred miles and then like be done and step off and support everyone else because we had, it was amazing we had people coming out there who were like never done anything remotely close to that you know we had people on spin bikes for twenty four hours and people who just you know committed to being there for the whole twenty four hours or people walking on treadmills and so it was it was really cool so yeah uh, awesome. and that was a uh, um, pretty pretty cool yeah. We'll cool just leave it at that. <laughs> no,
0: that's great. I'm writing down all these, these little charitable things so I can put them in the show notes so people can check them out. Like Run Well and then Addict to Athlete and then 24 Hours of Hope. Um, all right, number nine. Number nine.
1: So after, you know, having, you know, being doing some of these events and having, you know, them being kind of really public events, you know, like I wanted to do something that was just a little more internal. So there's a loop here in Boulder called Mount Sinaitis and it's a 3 mile loop it's 1300 just just under 1400 feet of elevation gain the first mile so it's like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah just under 1400 it's really really steep um and i said i was going to just do this loop for 24 hours in the dark you know november cold icy <laughs> and it was man i mean it was it was really cool like yeah. it was like i mean especially after the sun went down at night, you're on top of this peak and you can see all the lights of Boulder and Denver. And, and I felt like, you know, Batman or something. <laughs> like the out of this peak. <laughs> all the lights off in the distance, but you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, I think any, any real introspective, you know, endeavor can be spiritual or religious. Yeah. And it felt like that. Like, I mean, each loop I made a point to, you know, it wasn't about miles or, you know, epic training it was it was it was about you know meditation and being present and so after each loop i would stop at the peak and sit and just meditate you know and take deep breaths and and um just seeing all those lights at night while you're you know secluded away from all that but you're still close enough to see it it presents a really unique perspective and you realize like you know how simultaneously small and big the world is like each one of those lights represented a house yeah. a family you know I mean it's it was just really really cool um yeah so I, that
0: was I, I think it's something I, I, I talk to people all the time about like doing things when and where other people aren't is pretty empowering it's pretty interesting like even the act of just getting up early and going for a run early nobody likes to get up really early and run before the sun's up but if that's how you want to fit it in or you just really kind of draw some strength of being the only person out there I love it I mean I do it a lot and these little foothills near near my house, and uh, you know you get to the top of something, you see all the lights, you realize that you're doing something unique, even when there's literally millions of people within twenty miles of where i live it's it's pretty cool and uh yeah, go definitely go out and, and try things that are gonna put you in a place that you feel kind of kind of special at the same time but really kind of little at the same time too it's kind of cool
1: well yeah you mentioned Marshall earlier, Marshall said something once that to me just resonated in in such a big way, and that's He said that um, it's our greatest accomplishments that humble us the most.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and and that translates to the runs too, right? Like some of those those being, doing something by yourself can somehow make you really appreciate more, you know, how connected you are to everything else by, by pulling yourself away from it and feeling that gap. But it's funny because, like, I've trained on that loop. Man, I've done that loop ad nauseum, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of times. But I don't think I ever – I saw more of it at night with the flashlight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then I saw it in broad daylight doing it because then it was just like move, 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 train, push, you know. And, and this was, like, not that. It was like, oh, I never noticed this little trail over here. I'm just going to go over here for a while and see where that goes, you know, and then come back. And so it's cool. Yeah,
0: that's cool. All right. Number 10. <laughs> number 10. Um… I want to do a podcast on athlete on fire. That was number 10. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> number 10 was the, uh, aforementioned alluded to 48 hour treadmill run. Um, so I, uh, I didn't know what to do for the final event. And, um, you know, I thought about maybe going down to across the years, a race in Arizona that they put on. And I thought about, you know, what kind of ultras there were. And, um, and I can't remember exactly how it came up, but some of the dumbest things I've done have just been strange impulses. <laughs> and so somewhere along the line, I got this this idea about running 20, 48 hours on a treadmill. And I didn't get the idea because I wanted to do it. It was more like, how horrible would that be? <laughs> you know what I mean? As soon as I thought it, I was like so mad at myself for even thinking about it. I was like, you dumb son of a bitch! Why did you even lit that into your head? Because you know what's going to happen. You're, I, I knew I was going to find a way to want to do that, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And the reason I kept doing it was precisely because I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to do it. I was, I was, I was afraid of it. I, I was afraid of failing at it publicly, and the failing would be quitting. You know, it would be being overwhelmed by the magnitude of how long it's going to be, and and not wanting it, you know, tapping out. Um, but, you know, I decided that it was a fitting way to to end the whole thing, is to do something so big that it scared me, because that's how the, all this thing started for me, you know, is, is get out of that comfort zone. So we made it a fundraiser. We raised uh, money for um, to, to buy treatment scholarships for Colorado families that can't afford addiction treatment. And uh, we called it the Lost and Found Treadmill Run. It was for those uh, still lost in addiction and those who found their way out. And I did it at my gym and uh, started at 9 a.m. I think on Friday morning and finished 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. And it was, um, it was beautiful and painful and, and, and everything you'd expect it to be. Wow. <laughs> you have to you, – you get through something like that, you know, and you realize – you think you've done a reasonable job of sweeping out the closets and exploring the different storage areas in your mind. And you realize like, holy crap, there's like, there's like acres of undiscovered rooms <laughs> 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 in that mind, you know? And so it was pretty cool. It's
0: one of the reasons I love talking to endurance athletes because there is so much time to think about what your story really is. Um, and then to articulate it, you've already articulated it in your mind five million times and then I ask a simple question and you have most, – most people I've been interviewing have great answers and not just endurance but just athletes in general. You push yourself to these limits and uh, limits are what kind of define us in a lot of ways or lack thereof as we talked about them, about them earlier. Um, I, just a, a curious question. What, what were the rules for the treadmill like bathroom breaks? Yeah. You know, what what, what so- rules did you set for yourself?
1: So I use the same rules that would be in in anything like a world record attempt, you know, where it's just, it's a running clock, you know, my goal is to not, you know, I mean, I wanted to to say I was on the treadmill for 48 hours. I didn't want to like take a 12 hour nap. (laughs) So I was on the treadmill. Um, I ate on the treadmill. Um, I would step off, you know, to use the restroom, change shoes, you know, it's, it's two full days. So like I knew that, you know, eating a gel packet here and there wasn't going to cut it. You know, so there are a couple of times where I actually got off long enough to eat a real meal, you know. But other than that, the, the strangest thing that I think happened out of it is, you know, I've done a lot of long treadmill running. So, like, I don't usually have any problems with vertigo or, or things like that. But day two, like, my mind lost the ability to differentiate between when the treadmill was moving and not. Yeah. So so, what would happen is I would I would get off the treadmill. I'd go to the bathroom, and I'd come back, and I'd step on the treadmill, and my body would like spasm, expecting it to move underneath me. You know, even though it wasn't running, and so it it became kind of funny because then then the next time that happened, eventually you're like you're you're prepared for it. You're like, oh okay, the treadmill is not running. I'm going <laughs> to step on it, and the same thing would happen, like. The, the mind could not figure out that the treadmill wasn't moving. so it was really really, pretty bizarre. And I got very I got a tremendous amount of vertigo and nausea at the end. It became a, a really big struggle to just stay on, even at any speed, even walking, anything. It was just it was really, really uncomfortable. Um, but it would you know if you ride it out, you know, ultras taught me the same thing recovery taught me that it you know it never always gets worse. You know, it's, 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 it's just, if you're committed, you're going to figure, you're going to figure out a way as long as you eliminate the failure part of it.
0: Awesome, man. All right. So I'm talking here with David Clark. He's an ultra runner. Uh, he's a gym. He's an author. He's been doing a lot of interesting things. We went over the the 10 epic events that he put himself through to celebrate 10 years of sobriety. Awesome storytelling. I was happy to sit here and kind of go along with him and, and go to these places and these, these, uh, these mental places as well. It's been great. You guys can learn more about David at WeAreSuperman.com. I'm sure that was documented there, right? The, the 10 Epic?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So you can learn more there. And then really quick before we hop off, um, I know you are you talked about an icebreaker run. What is that? When is it? Give us some details so people can kind of follow along and, and stay in tune with you.
1: Yeah. Um, the icebreaker run, uh, the information is at icebreakerrun.org. And that starts pretty close here. on um, May 16th, it's myself. And um, five other runners, um, Charlie Engel, Pam Ricard, Chris Roman, Chris Martin, uh, Katra Corbett, and Sophie. I can't pronounce her last name. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, We're all going to do a a relay across the country. We're going to start in L.A. and go to D.C. Um, We're hoping to do it in three weeks, so it's a pretty aggressive pace. And it's to—it's called the Icebreaker Run to because we want to start a conversation. It's, we want people to say, hey, you know, who are these silly people out here running, and why are they running? And it's for um, Mental Health Awareness Month. So PTSD is a big issue. Um, addiction is is hitting our vets too. Depression, suicide rates are going crazy right now. Thirty time, thirty year all time high. You know, so it's it's. Um, all of us, the runners involved in, in, and, even the people behind the scenes have been touched by mental health, mental health issues in one way or another. So, um, we're actually, there's a mental health conference in DC at the finish that we'll be uh, a part of. So mm-hmm. Charlie jingle's the the, the brainchild behind it. Um, I was very lucky, very humbled that he would think of me and, uh, he reached out to me and, and I was just like, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's, it's a nice way to kind of end it because like my, um, mantra and my my Twitter handle and, and website has always been we are superman and and it's because, you know, I, I'm certainly not Superman, like I'm just like a, a peasant in the world of ultra running. But, you know, I do believe that we all have this this great strength inside of us, you know, that 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 we can access. And you know, there's there's nothing special about that. We all have it. But I've done a lot of these events that have been, you know, just primarily me. And to be a part of a team doing this is really cool, and it falls right into that we are Superman kind of idea. So I, I'm very, very happy to be a part of the that team and, and to hopefully bring it home.
0: Awesome, man. Icebreakerrun.org. Yes. Got to ask yes. the question. Are you starting at Santa Monica Pier? We are. Yeah. Dang it. I need to find somebody who's doing a cross country that's not starting there. It's my goal in life.
1: <laughs> oh. Well, actually, we're going to start Starbucks next to that.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's be honest here. <laughs> it's, it's yeah,
1: so... I, don't know. I I guess that's what everyone does. But um, I don't know. We're taking a little different route though. We're we're going across the southern part of the country. Oh, cool. Like kind of a straight line, like through whatever that is—Arizona, New Mexico, Texas.
0: Yeah. You know. No, that's cool man. that would be fun well, to follow some,
1: along. If I need anything from my house, I can't just stop in as we run by through Colorado.
0: I know. It doesn't seem like many of them go through Colorado. I think that's probably a logistical decision, you're probably smart, but uh yeah, there's a lot of cross country relays and stuff and it's awesome. I think it's great for people to, to get out there and um, there's a couple that are um, doing it for different charities and yeah, awesome stuff, man. I think using things that you're passionate about to to better other people's lives is is really important and David, Dave, thanks. thanks for coming on and sharing the story again. I love it. Hey, man, thanks for letting
1: me share. It's, it's, a, um, it's a gift that's not lost on me to be able to do that, so thank you.
0: Awesome, man. We'll, and we'll, we'll do it again for sure. So you guys are listening to David Clark. Check out WeAreSuperman.com. Awesome stuff on there. He's been been doing some amazing stuff lately. So uh, once again, Athlete on Fire, I am, you are, Everyone's. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.